Hello, everybody. My name's Connie. Very grateful, Alanon. This is the first time I've ever spoken to one of these things. Um, our speaker is B P, and <laughs> the first time that I met B, the first time I saw her was at the uh, Glen. Maybe some of y'all remember the Glen, Spring Shadows Glen. Um, she had a suitcase on rollers. <laughs> And every Tuesday night, she had that suitcase on rollers, and she'd take it up to the meeting, and she had the newcomers meeting. And I can remember thinking, I need to get to know this lady. She has a suitcase full of knowledge, (laughs) and she can tell me how to get the alcoholic to quit drinking. (laughs) She had to have all the secrets in that suitcase, anybody that was that important that had that much stuff. And I did go to her beginner's meeting for a long time. And I've known B for 18 years. It's been a long time. And I wasn't going to cry. I've known her go through a lot of things through the years. And she's been a lady of great dignity and great courage. Somebody I'm proud to know. And indeed, she did have a lot of knowledge. And I have learned a lot through watching her through the years. She's been very consistent. And I know she has a lot of recovery to share with you all today. I give you BP. I thought I'd at least get started before I got the tears flowing. (laughs) I I am a crier, so bear with me, please. I am so grateful to be here. My name is B, and I'm a very grateful member of al uh, I've been asked to speak today uh, from the parent's point of view. I've This is the first time to speak totally from that point of view. I've spoken as a spouse of and as the child of, but not as the parent of. Uh, so we'll see how this comes up. I didn't rehearse this time. I remember the first time I spoke, I rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed in my head, of course. I didn't say a darn thing that I had rehearsed. <laughs> because I was told to let God do it. To just let go, pray that you say something that helps somebody else and pray that you say something that helps yourself and just be honest and just share your experience, strength and hope. So that's what I hope to do today. Uh, I can't really share from the parent's point of view, though, without telling you who I am and how I got to that point. Uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home, as I said, and uh, developed a lot of attitudes, not always good attitudes. I'll give you one little clue. Is I think it was my second grade teacher said, B is a great leader, but she leads everybody in the wrong direction. <laughs> she was right. <laughs> I couldn't deny it. Uh, but I did have a lot of friends, and I did have a, a I, I seemed to gather people who were from the same area that I was in life, and yet I didn't know that. Their lives always looked so much better than mine. They looked like they had more money. Their parents were always involved. Uh, I could go on and on, but you know, I was comparing my insides to their outsides, and I wasn't getting a clear picture of what was going on in their home either. And it wasn't until I came to Al-Anon that I found out what, how great some of us are at hiding what's going on in our homes and, and what's going on in our lives. Uh, I probably had done some of that myself before I got here. No one knew. I didn't want them to know what was going on. Uh, my home of origin was, uh, my dad was in the Navy, so he was gone a lot, but when he was home, my mother and dad would go out a lot, and I would be left at home alone, which I loved, but I got myself in some trouble that way, too, so I started smoking at the age of eight, which, you know, I'm not proud of that, folks, but uh, that's just how it was. I thought I was grown up. You know, I was an only child. I forgot that part. That's an important part, too. So I was always with adults, and so I kind of felt like I was grown up. And then as time went on, well, when Dad was home, too, they fought a lot. Now, my dad was the quiet, laid-back drunk. You know, he didn't cause any problems. He just wanted to get drunk, lay down on the couch, sweat, and snore. That's all he wanted to do. Mom, on the other hand, was this 
kind of little violent person. She's only five foot tall, but we're size five shoe, you know, a little bitty feet and little bitty hands, you know, a little bitty person, but she was dynamite. She always said <laughs> dynamite comes in small packages, and she was talking about herself. Uh, so, you know, from my point of view as a child, I thought Dad was okay. Dad was pretty cool. Mom was a banshee. So I, I developed, the, but she had control. You know, in my point of view, she had control because she could make Dad do what she wanted him to do. So, of course, I wasn't going to marry an alcoholic, and I didn't really call my dad an alcoholic at the time. I just thought he drank way too much. And from my point of view, too, it was all monetary. You know how children are sometimes. Uh, All I could see is that they were spending a lot of money on that stuff and not very much money on me. Selfish and self-centered start very early, doesn't it? so as I grew up, of course, I, I meet Mr. Wright, <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, and he's an alcoholic. Any surprise there? So uh, we had dated, I guess I was a sophomore when we started dating. We had dated for about a year, and I asked my mother if we could get married. Now I'm 16. Uh, he's just graduated from high school. And, uh, of course, she said no, you know, like any mother would. And, and my dad was just... I don't think he talked for three weeks. And uh, so I took control. Yeah, I have to bring in control here a lot because that was my modus operandi. I was control. Uh, so I said, I'll show you. I'll, I'll find a way. And I did. <laughs> and uh, In February, we got married. And in uh, July, my daughter was born. Do the math. Uh, <laughs> I, I found a way. You know, I was going to take control. I was taking, and I had to get out of that house. I absolutely had to. Uh, there were a number of things that led up to that, and I won't go into all of that. That's in my other story that I tell. Uh, but it, it was all about getting my way, getting it now, and doing what I wanted to do all the time. Well, I married this guy, and he's kind of from that point of view too. We're, we're both kind of domineering personalities, and I, I guess I thought I didn't know that before we got married, but I should have. Uh, but he kind of let me lead him around by the nose until we got married, and then things so, sort of changed, you know. And you know the progression of the disease of alcoholism. I kept thinking it was going to get better. I was going to make it better. I could make him happy. That You know the scenario. Uh, and then he wouldn't drink like that. Well, of course, it didn't work that way. He drank more, and I felt guiltier, and I felt worse, and I thought, well, I just can't do this. I'm doing something wrong. So there were a bunch of divorces in there, too, and uh, you know, lots of leaving. He'd, he'd go to work in the morning, and we didn't live there anymore at night. Uh, he did, but we didn't. And along the way, I had five children. Actually, we'll, we'll go back. and we'll, I just had four when I, I moved to Houston. We got a divorce. And I moved to Houston, and I was going to get away from him. That was it. No more. Uh, at that time, my oldest son, who was one of the alcoholics uh, of the children, it was he was not in school yet. He was five. And the younger one was almost one. He was uh, lacked a month of being one year old. And he, the, that younger one is also an alcoholic. I uh, have two girls in between there. They're not, to my knowledge. Uh, and I can only label them alcoholics because they've labeled themselves alcoholics. Uh, I could see in the personality of the oldest son that he was very much like his father. That he, um, I, of course, I didn't know he was on his pathway to become an alcoholic, but I, I did see that he was very difficult to deal with. No matter where I went with him, he would disappear. He did pull this disappear. You know, at two years old, he's disappearing, and it's scaring the hell out of me. And he would, like, we'd go shopping, and he'd go hide in between the clothes, and he thought this is really funny to see Mom panic. And when he got older, when he was already into his disease, uh, we went to the Astrodome, and he disappeared. You know, he left us no choice but to leave without him. He was 16, and he had some money, so I knew he could find his way home. By this time, I knew he was an alcoholic. I knew he was, I had already found all of the uh, evidence of that in the house, or a lot of the evidence of that in the house. Uh, but looking at their little personalities there, and then the uh, the younger one, you know, looking back on it, I can see where he had a, 
uh, a little different personality. The girls were very amiable. They went along, you know. They were my little watch-outs. My, my youngest one, we called her the reporter. <laughs> I would come home from work, and she would run to the car so she could tell me everything that happened in a nutshell. I mean, it, it, before I could even get out of the car, she'd blah, 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 and tell me the whole story of everything that happened all day long. And, of course, it was always about what they did. She's also a member of Al-Anon. <laughs> And the oldest girl was my uh, my watch out, and she was also the one who helped me find the bottles. And she was the one who helped me find what Dad was doing, you know. And so she was kind of my right hand person, actually. She was the second mom in the house, and you know. And I'm not proud of having my children become a part of that kind of espionage and everything, but I didn't know any different at the time, so I don't kick myself over it anymore. Uh, so it, I moved to Houston and, you know, I'm trying to raise these four kids and you know how difficult that is as a single parent. Some of you are single parents and you know that that's not a fun thing to do. Well, he found out where I was and he followed me down here and we got back together and then we got apart and we got back together and we got apart. And all of this, I think, you know, probably led to a lot of confusion for those children. And uh, I know the uh, the youngest of the four... Uh, at that time, he kept saying, why do you keep going back? Why do you keep going back? Leave him out of here. Well, you know, I, I don't think he had the right motives, but he probably had the right idea. <laughs> uh, his, his motives were because I, I think that he was wanting to move into that spot. You know, as a very young child, that was what he wanted to do. But I only know that now after a lot of Al-Anon and a lot of, um, I'll call it therapy, but not not the professional therapy, just the uh, reading up on the finding out the facts about alcoholism and alcoholic homes. Uh, so we were here in Houston for a long time, and lo and behold, number five is on his way. And at the, by this time, the oldest boy is already kind of, he's 15. He's kind of getting, no, I'm sorry, he's 10. He's kind of getting on his way to becoming an alcoholic because he's been experimenting. Now, I didn't know that, but I found out later he'd been experimenting. And I took a trip back up. I forgot to say we were from Kansas, and I moved down to Houston. Uh, I took a trip back up to Kansas, and I brought one of my husband's cousins back with me. He wanted to get come down here and find a job, and he came back with me and the kids. And uh, I knew he was a pot smoker. I mean, you could tell. You know, he played with Kansas, the band Kansas. He had been in that whole that whole circle. So I knew this, but I denied it. And I brought him to live in our home. And so after a few years, he didn't live with us forever, but after a few years of him being around, the boys really got into it. So I had someone to blame, besides my husband, <laughs> for the boys getting into drugs. It was all Roger's fault. If he hadn't, they wouldn't. Okay. The first person I blamed was my husband. If he hadn't been an alcoholic, they wouldn't have become alcoholic. Then I started blaming me. If I had been a better mother, if I had stayed gone, if I had taken care of what I was supposed to take care of the way a normal person would do, if I hadn't gotten married so young, if I hadn't, if I had, I could go on and on and on about how I felt about myself. So I took on internally the entire burden of why they are alcoholics. It was all my fault. And once in a while I'd come out of that fog and I would say, no, it's all his fault. If he wasn't, they wouldn't be. It, you know, and I vacillated back and forth on that for a long, long time. Uh, I started going to Al-Anon because the, my husband had checked into a... Now, I didn't know the boys were into all of this yet. I still hadn't found... Although, I have to tell you, uh, I had looked out... We had a, a townhouse, and I had looked out that second-story window over the garage, and there were a lot of plants growing along that walkway and I was like what in the world is that of course my husband knew what it was and uh, he was 
he was incensed by the fact that these boys were growing pot right outside of their bedroom window on the garage roof. And so we got those, pulled them in the house and threw them away and everything. And then one day I was walking through our upstairs uh, hallway and it was dark and I saw a light coming from the little place where you go up into the attic. And it was a blue light. So it really kind of illuminated out there. And I said, what in the world is that? So my husband gets up there. Guess what? We've got an attic full of pot growing with the black light. So, you know, it's it's becoming real evident that there's a problem. Well, now, I can't remember exactly if this was before, just before the program or just after I got in the program. I found, we had bought, my oldest son always liked knickknacks and gadgets and stuff, and he was always taking things apart and, uh, you know, Mr. Fix-It, but he never fixed it, and it seemed like it was always broken forever after he got through with it. But he, we bought him one of those, I know you saw them at Radio Shack, these things that had bells and whistles, and you could hook it up, and you could make, when your door opened, the bell would go off and things like that. Well, he had fixed it up so that when you walked into his room, if you stepped right on that carpet right there, it gave a little signal so he'd know you who was in the, were in the room. Well, one day, I got really tired of that. So you know, my control issues were coming back. The room was a mess. Oh, I know, I remember when he had painted the room. I was gone to work, and he had painted the room. It was in the summertime. He didn't move any furniture. He didn't move the curtains. He painted around them. (laughs) I was not happy. So I came in, and I took control of the situation, and I ripped that little thing out from under the floor. And lo and behold, in the bottom of it, the box was all this pot. And I, I looked at that, by this time I know what this stuff is, and I smelled it, you know, denial, I'm thinking, is it really, you know, could it, what else would it be, for God's sake? So I decide I'm going to take it, and I'm going to grind it all up in the garbage disposal. So I'm stuffing that stuff down there, and I'm cussing, and I'm having a fit, and I broke the garbage disposal. <laughs> There was there were so many of those stems in there that it just wound it all up. So, you know, so much for taking control of that situation. Uh, around that time too, we're, we're up now to where my oldest son is around fourteen, fifteen years old, and the younger one is now ten. Uh, didn't know that the younger one was in this until much later. But the older one, it had become very obvious that he was into this stuff because he would disappear for hours at a time. Uh, one night he'd been working for the apartments. He was cleaning um, carpets and painting and things like that. And 3 o'clock in the morning, he's still not home. And this is around the time when that Dean Coral thing went on. Some of you probably remember that. So, uh, of course, I had him in a dumpster in pieces, you know, and, and I'm, I'm crazy loony, and I don't know where to find it. Well, he fell asleep in an apartment while he was cleaning the carpet. They finally, he comes trucking home. You know, I'd been saying, if he's not dead, I'm killing him. <laughs> and so he comes home. Of course, I was extremely happy to see him come home. Well, I just fell asleep. You know, and, and he was the classic druggie and alcoholic. You know, he would say, what? Who? You know, we still tease him about that. He said, where are you going? I don't know. And I never knew his friends. You know, I knew that was a, a, a big flag too, to not know their friends. I knew the back of their heads as they ran up the stairs, but I didn't know them. And I always wanted to get to know their friends. Oh, mom, you don't want to know them. Well, if I don't want to know them, I don't want them in my house. You know, I don't trust this very much. So he quit bringing them home, I think. <laughs> so, um, Around that time also, I I think he was probably a junior in high school. Uh, My dad had had a a Gibson guitar, oh gosh, I can't remember the, but it was, it would be worth a lot of money today, I can tell you that. Uh, It wasn't worth a whole lot when he bought it, but it's worth a lot on the market today. And my mother had given that to my son when my dad had passed away. And uh, I, I tried to keep control of that, too. I kept it in my bedroom so it wouldn't get harmed, of course. Uh, but I was called one day at work, 
Now, I have to tell you, part of my control issue, too, was going to work, because I could see that I was going to have to be the breadwinner in that house. It wasn't working out too good with Dad. Uh, he was unemployable at times and uh, unemployed at times. Uh, so I went to work so I could take control of that financial situation, and I, I always felt trapped until I came to Allen and learned that who trapped me, and I really wasn't trapped. It was just the way it was. Uh, but I came home. I was called at work one day by my reporter daughter and said, Pat's on the floor, and I think he's dead. <laughs> uh, well, you know, of course, I jump in the car and made a, well, NASCAR could have hired me on that day, I'll tell you. I was home very quickly. And uh, he was laying in the floor, and he was passed out, but he wasn't dead. And, of course, I'm going to take control of the situation now because I'm really angry now because I have raced home. I've had some near collisions and scared the hell out of a few other people, too, I'm sure. And he's drugged. I don't know what he took, but he's drugged. I have to back up a little bit, too. Just... In that area sometime too, you know, I don't know the exact ages or any of that and it's really not important, but, uh, I had decided that if you couldn't fight them, you'd join them. So I went to liquor stores and I kept a good supply of liquor in the house. We had, I didn't buy pints like my husband bought. He bought half pints and pints. I bought gallons. And we had a fully stocked thing. Well, this boy had gotten into the brandy. And drank the whole bottle. He was homesick one day. He had the flu. And he decides that he'll drink this brandy. Well, he was really sick after that. And so I'm taking control. And all I do really when I did that every time is really tick them off. You know, when they're drunk, you know, they tell us don't argue with a drunk alcoholic. Well, that's the time. Well, sometimes it's really hard to catch them when they're not, too. But... <laughs> But, you know, when, when they're loaded, by God, we're going to talk because I need to tell you some stuff and you need to listen to this and you need to hear me. Well, I don't know why I kept doing that except the insanity of the disease because our disease progresses too. And mine certainly was. And every time I thought it would be different, this time I'm going to make them listen to me. And by golly, if they don't, they're going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I always planned my revenge ahead of time and what they were going to say and what I was going to say. And, of course, you all know that never worked out exactly the way I planned it. Well, this particular day when I come home, he's laying on the floor, face down on the carpet. Uh, I was never a thrower of things because you had to clean up the mess. That was the only reason I didn't. <laughs> but I thought it would be real dramatic if you did, but I just didn't want to do that. Well, he's laying in the floor, and I find out he's not dead, and he's just drugged. And uh, a little investigation through the kids, and I, I found out what he'd taken and everything. And uh, so I was really angry. So I believe that was the day I started throwing plants in the floor. Dirt's really hard to clean up in your carpet. I don't recommend that either. But that, you know, these things all made it so memorable for me. <laughs> Just made it a part of the story. Uh, and shows me my insanity when I go back and look at it. That was totally insane. Like I was going to make a statement to him of how upset he'd made me. As a result of my taking control and having my say and telling him what I thought and what he was going to do and how it was going to be from now. Now, this kid's over six foot tall. He's 16 years old, and, you know, he's a really smart kid, too. But the next day when I came home from work, my bedroom was a total demolished wreck, including the guitar. He had taken all my perfume poured it on the bed, smashed the bottles. I you know, I'll go I don't need to go on. It was very eye opening. But by God I was gonna take control again. Yeah, I still had the idea that I could do something and his dad, you know, he was gonna step in and help me. Well dad goes out and gets loaded more loaded. So I'm there with the mess and my daughter and I are trying to clean up this mess and get it at least to the point where we could sleep there that night. It smelled to high heaven. Boy, perfumes, when they're mixed together, that can be really lethal. Uh, he ran away for a couple of days, but he, he did come back and, uh, 
you know, tail between the legs and the whole nine yards. Yeah, another time he, he stole the family car and, um, it ran out. Of, I knew it was out of gas. When I got home from work that night, it was running on fumes. I was the first thing in the morning I was going to run and get gas in the car. Well, he ran out of gas just a few blocks and I left it in the middle of the road out of gas. So we had to do the whole thing with getting it from the impound again. The lectures, the yelling, the screaming, you know, the constant stuff. Well, then this other boy's coming up. The other boy is really getting into his drugs and alcohol and, um, he had a little girlfriend. He was 14 years old by this time. He had this little girlfriend and I had a, I didn't want him staying over at her house all the time and I didn't want her staying at our house all the time, but you couldn't separate these two. So it was a constant battle. Uh, I'm sure her, her mother was probably just about as upset as I was, but her mother was very difficult to talk to. Um, anyway, he came home very, very drunk one night. He'd been drinking Jack Daniels. He was so proud of you, drinking Jack Black. Fourteen years old. And he's laying in his bed, and by God, I'm going to take control of this situation. I'm going in there, and I'm telling. Well, one of the girls came out and told me that he was throwing up. Well, I was afraid that he would lay there and throw up and and drown himself in because I'd heard of that happening before. Of course, I didn't know the part about God taking care of drunks and fools, right? I'm in the program now. I am in the program. Not for long, though. Have faith. (laughs) But I do know you're not supposed to argue with a drunk alcoholic. I've heard this for weeks already, months maybe. Uh, I, I do know that everything I'm doing is wrong while I'm doing it, but it's like I had no control over me. I, I just, this is something I felt I just had to do. So I go in there and I'm jerking him up. Now he's over six foot tall by now too. And I'm jerking him up and I'm telling him, you know, get in that bathroom, go, you know, and, and he's really angry with me. Well, he, he's a really fast kid. He's the one that's more like his dad than the other one is. Uh, he went running down the stairs, he ran back up the stairs and he's got a butcher knife and he stands there and he slits his throat. Right in front of me. Well, then my husband comes in and he says, get out, get out. And he's trying to take the knife away from him. Fortunately, it was only surface. Uh, it didn't get into anything serious there. And, you know, the paramedics come and we go to the hospital and the ER and everything. And I'm sitting there. What in the hell is going on? Now, I know some of the facts about alcoholism. I know that I'm a very sick Al-Anon and I need a lot of help. And this is really bringing it to me, how much help I need. Because I was raised thinking you're supposed to have control of your children. You're supposed to know everything they do, every place they go, all their friends. You know, that's the way I was raised. And here I have these children that are out of control and I can't get control on it. And I, you know, but I've been in these meetings and I've been hearing that we're powerless. But I couldn't be powerless over those kids. I had to have some power because if I didn't, they were going to die. And I couldn't bear that. I had also been going to a parents meeting. For quite some time at that time, well, several months, not quite some time. It was, you know, a short period of time, and they had some do's and don'ts too. Uh, when the meeting had first started, although it was strictly Al-Anon, and and I think it's still going and it's still Al-Anon. I haven't been for a number of years, but I went to that meeting for 15 years, and there were a lot of do's and don'ts that I can't even remember them at the moment. I was trying to dig them out this morning, but the one I can remember is do keep a united front. Well, my husband and I had anything but a united front. And, you know, one of the things that I had seen in that parents' meeting is how many single parents were there were because... Now, my husband had some sobriety by now. I forgot to mention that. He did get an AA, and he did have some sobriety. Um, and he started going to the parents' meeting with me. Uh, but I could see how alcoholism, particularly a child's alcoholism, can separate a couple. You get totally split. And I realized after some more time in the program that what was happening to us was I was expecting him to fix it. After all, he was the alcoholic. He should know. He was expecting me to fix it, and I didn't know how I couldn't do it. And I finally realized 
we're powerless over this. We can't do a darn thing about it. Those kids are going to have to do this themselves. Uh, the older boy did decide to join the Marines, which was a big hooray, we'll let the Marines fix him. Uh, and while he was in the Marines, he didn't get in any trouble or anything. He, he, I guess, I think they scared him. You know, they, they could control what I couldn't. Uh, but while he was in the Marines, he did go to rehab once and got a little AA under his belt, but he relapsed and went back out. And it was another year or two before he went back in. And in December, he celebrated 16 years. Um, the younger boy is still practicing. I don't know when he's going to have it down right, but he's still practicing. Um, I have to say that going to that parents' meeting got me to the point where I no longer blamed myself so severely. Yeah, I could have done some things different, absolutely. Yes, my husband could have done some things, absolutely. But what we did did not make them alcoholic. And you know, I started to realize, you know, I've got five kids. Two are alcoholics, three are not. Why would I think they were all raised at the same time, except for the fifth one. They were all raised at the same time, same parents, same situation. Why would these two be and these two not if I was truly at fault? They should all be, right? So realizations started coming to me like that. Attending that parents' meeting gave me a foundation to be able to have the strength to be able to deal with the fact that they're alcoholic and I can't do a damn thing about it. That I, you know, I wanted to be the one that brought him into the program. Huh. Well, backing up, when he slit his throat, of course, we, we needed to find some professional help for him and took him over to the Bel Air Hospital, but they didn't put him in for drugs and alcohol. They put it, and see, I knew better already. I knew that that's where he needed to be, but they put him into the adolescent ward for, I don't know, not misbehavior, but basically what it was. Uh, and they were treating his mental problem. And I kept, I knew enough about, from Alan on, I knew enough about alcoholism. It, they didn't need to treat his mental condition. They needed to treat his alcoholism, and the mental condition then would probably be okay. And if it wasn't, then we deal with that. But I didn't argue with them. I, you know, by this time, I was so worn out and so scared and angry, too, that I just wanted him out of the house so that I didn't have to deal with him for a little while so I could get my act together. At that time, we would leave the hospital there and go straight to an AA or an Allen. I mean, I mean, we went to a meeting every single night, sometimes two meetings, because I needed to stay close to the people that could help me, the people that could not look down on me and not judge me for what they were doing and, and how we had, you know, what our, our children were like. That's what I always thought, that I was being judged because of what other people in the family did or didn't do. And so I uh, attended those meetings, I listened to the people, and I started getting relieved from that guilt. I couldn't really get much recovery until I started getting relieved of the guilt because I kept telling myself what a piece of crap I was and how I should be different and how I and yes we come into Al-Anon or I came into Al-Anon and began the the process of progressing forward instead of backward and yes I wanted to make changes but I was already all right I just needed to know that myself I needed to get to the point where I accepted me just like I was. And by doing that, then those changes just kind of automatically started coming. Well, anyway, he stayed in that hospital for a very short time, and they sent him home all doped up on some other kind of stuff, which, you know, I didn't like that either. He spent Thanksgiving practically in a coma on the couch in the living room and had no fun at all. And uh, Christmas was no good trip either. And uh, yet I had my Al-Anon meetings and the AA meetings and those people were where I could go to get some relief from all of that. And then 
of course, he went out and he did his thing again. He quit taking his medication. He went out and did his thing again. And he wound up in spring shadows for a very long time. They keep adolescents for a long time. And, uh, you know, we had quite a, a battle in there, too, because he was fighting and arguing against us all the time. He never would get into it. And, yeah, I knew he wasn't getting it. I knew he wasn't ready. But I was getting some relief to not have him in the house because my younger son was, he was in pre-alateen. He was eight years old when, at eight or nine when all of this was going on. And I, I really didn't want him subjected to the, all of this either. He, he had a better foundation because when we came in the program, he was eight and, uh, he wasn't going that direction. So I didn't want him exposed to all of this either. So, you know, here we are in this dilemma. Of, He's over here and I'm wanting to protect him from this over here, but he belongs there too. So there was quite a quandary going on. The older boy was off in the Marines and doing his thing out there. Um, there are so many incidences with that younger alcoholic boy that I, I could go into, but one of the most significant, I believe, for anybody who's a parent, how many parents are out there? Oh, wow, just a few. <laughs> a parents of alcoholics? Yes, okay. Well, it was very difficult for me to do this, and most of you will attest to this. Some of you probably had to do it too. At 16 years old, we had to ask him not to live in our house anymore. Uh, but part of the, you know, they had us write this contract, and it was, I'm a procrastinator anyway, but I knew this was a big waste of time, effort, and paper. But my husband and I sat down and we wrote this contract out for our son for, before he got out of the hospital. And, you know, the, the major thing on there is if you use again, you change your address. You know, simple. Well, I walked up into his bedroom one day, and uh, under his bed was a coffee can with paint thinners, acetone in it. And you could smell it, you know. And, and I smelled that. Oh, my God, you know. I had heard, well, I had ridden to work. We carpooled with a lady once who... uh her son had brain damage from huffing glue. So I knew what this stuff was about. Uh, that really scared me. So we had to ask him not to live there anymore. So at 16 years old, he walked out of the house. I walked out with him. I said, you know, if I could do this for you, it'd be done. But you've got to do this yourself. I'm here to support you when you're ready. Uh, he proceeded then to get himself into a lot of trouble and have to go to Huntsville and spend a little time up there, not visiting. Uh, that was a difficult time. That was a very difficult time, but I knew where he was. <laughs> and uh, he wrote me letters, and I wrote him letters, and uh, things rocked along pretty good. Stayed in the program, kept doing my thing. And Connie was talking about my, my suitcase. I had two of them, actually. I had one for the parents' meeting and one for the newcomers. Uh, I carried around in my car at all times. So that, you know, we, I was already ready, always ready for a meeting. Anytime, anyplace. Uh, <clears throat> I continued that parents' meeting for, like I said, 15 years. And, you know, sometimes I probably ought to go back now, but it's on Friday nights. And by God, by Friday nights, I'm dead, you know? I just, can't do much on Friday nights anymore. Uh, but that parents' meeting helped me get over a lot of hurdles. Anybody who hasn't been to it, please go. I know there have been a lot of other parents' meetings that have been started around, but they didn't follow Al-Anon, so they didn't live. I don't know if there's any more now or not. There may be, but at the time when, when ours was really going strong, when I was part of it, uh, we were the only one. And it was because we had that foundation of Al-Anon. The lady who was my sponsor had started that parents' meeting. She didn't even have an alcoholic kid, but she started that parents' meeting. And uh, they wrote their own do's and don'ts. And we had uh, had a lot of parents come in and out, but there was a core group that had stayed there and kept that meeting going and kept it Al-Anon. <clears throat> the only thing that was ever brought in there that wasn't Al-Anon was the do's and don'ts that they had created themselves. So, you know, part of the autonomy of the group. But it was right on. Everything came right out of the literature. It was just excerpted into that. Um, 
one of the other do's and don'ts that we had was, I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I can't remember exactly how it goes, but don't use that I am the parent near the child attitude. You know, when you're dealing with drug addicted kids, they're no longer children. So, you know, to try to get that control was, number one, impossible and it was fruitless. And all it did is frustrate me and make me angrier, made my husband angrier. I had always felt, too, during that, well, forever, that I was the liaison between my husband and the children, particularly number four boy there, because they were so much alike. They couldn't talk to each other. They could be in the room five minutes together and there was a fight. Uh, so I would always say, well, your father said this. And, well, yeah. Russell really doesn't like it when you do that. And, you know, and back and forth, back and forth. Well, Al-Anon taught me I don't need to be monkey in the middle anymore. I can stop that. Well, I remember the exact spot in our house where I was when this happened. The light bulb went off. And they started arguing. And I walked out of the room and I went into my bathroom. Oh, I shut the bedroom door. I went into the bathroom. And I turned on the water so I couldn't hear what they were saying. Now, I could hear them because they were both very loud people. <laughs> and they were getting louder and louder and louder. And I just I, I just refused to hear it. I refused to try to do anything about it. It was theirs to hammer out however they could. It's the, I always got in the middle because I didn't want things broken. And I didn't want anybody having bloody noses and stuff like that. And, you know, by this time, the boy's pretty good size. And he'd probably take his dad down. And... uh Anyway, I, I stayed out of there, and when the commotion stopped, I walked out, and my husband's there, and kid's gone, and he said, you should have stopped me, and I said, I can't do that anymore. You're going to have to learn to do that yourself. They never fought again. If I had done that, <laughs> a long time before that, they had had words a few times, but they never fought like that again. I guess they both realized that mom wasn't going to step in and take control and try to fix it and, you know, give them the excuse to have to stop. Well, she made a stop. Uh, but I didn't do that anymore. And, and there were many, many things like that that I had to, well, I didn't have to, but, but I chose to do, uh, to get myself out of the middle of their battles. It wasn't mine to control. It wasn't mine to settle. It wasn't mine to fix. And, I didn't do this immediately. This is not something I learned in a year or two. I, it took me a long time, and I'm still learning. Now, the one boy, I tell you, he's still <clears throat> he's still practicing. Uh, my husband passed away in November. And we had had a, you know, well, he had moved away to Alabama for a number of years because he couldn't be around us at all. He was so angry, and he was so volatile. He didn't want to have anything to do with us. And quite frankly, I was kind of okay with that because I really wasn't hankering to have a whole lot to do with him either. He was not, uh, he was not fun to be around. He, he drank all the time. He was angry all the time. He was, uh, and, and that's not what I wanted in my life anymore. So when he moved to Alabama, we stayed in contact once in a while, but, you know, it was really difficult to even talk to him on the phone because he'd wind up getting really ticked off about something. He has a son that's uh, 16 now, and uh, if I even mentioned that I'd talked to Daniel, he would go ballistic, you know, why are you talking to him? And it, it was To me, it was so ununderstandable. I could not understand his opinions or it, but it's the alcoholism talking. I know that intellectually, but I couldn't get that in my heart. Anyway, he moved back from Alabama, and he's got a new wife, and uh, she has control now. I haven't taken her to Al-Anon yet. <laughs> she seems to be doing a very good job. Uh, he's, I can be around him now. He's... Uh, he knows the rule. You don't come to our house if you're drinking. And he followed that rule for the last several years until his dad passed away. And he came to the house, and I I know alcoholics, when there's something really emotional going on, they need to drink. You know, it would be unnatural for him not to drink. 
he probably would have been more miserable to be around if he hadn't been drinking. But he came to the house that night that his dad passed away and he was drinking. He came the next day and he was drinking. So the next day when we were making uh, the arrangements and everything, I asked him, either don't drink or don't come. Well, of course, he got very angry and he disappeared. And uh, I thought, oh, gosh, he's gone again forever, you know. But uh, he did come back around again and he wasn't drinking. And I felt that I had to do that. I did it in a kind way. I did it in a nice way. I did it privately. That's something that I'd never really done in the family before. We didn't do anything privately. We screamed and yelled in front of everybody and made a big scene and made it all dramatic. And uh, But I did it that way, and he accepted that. And he had enough AA and enough therapy that he knows the program. So I know from knowing about alcoholism that he's got a head full of AA and a belly full of booze, and he's not a happy person. But he's... I'm a lot happier to be around him today. I can be around him today. The older boy married uh, a lady, and he has a, a son that'll be three years old next year. Uh, next month, next year, he'll be. I have not seen that baby. After they got married, she—I don't want to be a judgment of her, but she married an alcoholic, so I know she has control issues. <laughs> And she couldn't control the family, so she pulled him away, and he allowed her to. At first, I blamed her, but he's going along with this. Uh, so I don't see him very often at all. He sneaks a phone call to me now and then or an email to me, but if she finds out about it, he gets in trouble. So now He's got 16 years of sobriety. We went to a conference in April, and he was there. So he and I got to spend the whole weekend together without any interference, and that was fun. But, I, you know, I can make those times miserable by whining and complaining about you never come around, you don't call your mama, blah, 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 blah. I choose not to do that. Al-Anon has taught me to accept what I have. Take what I have. Enjoy it while I have it. It may not last forever. So he and I have a good time when we are together. And I don't know how long this will last, but you know, nothing's forever. I've learned that in Al-Anon, and that's how I can be content with the way that it is. It's not what I want. It's not what I choose, of course. But I could go in and I could blow up and I could make a big mess. And, you know, I could even, somebody even mentioned, well, you should go to the courts and you should get rights to see that grandbaby. And I go, I don't want to make their life miserable. I'm okay. I know he's okay. I get enough information to find out they're okay. I'm okay with that. I don't need to be in control of that too. And it seems to be working out. You know, at first I thought, you know, I should just go over to their house and I should tell her and, you know, what good would that do? What good would that do? Wouldn't that be just like I did in the old days with taking control and making things worse? I think it might. I don't project that it would. I just think that's probably not the right thing to do. So I accept the way things are. Um, I think I'm going to give you back a few minutes. So you have a little extra there. I, I don't know what more I can say about being the parent of an alcoholic. It's a difficult job. I didn't sign up for it. Uh, I did the best I could. I do know that uh, with the tools that I had. I came into Al-Anon. I got a whole different set of tools, a whole different toolbox, and a place where I can go to keep it reinforced. You know, we used to say all the time that I go to meetings when I'm feeling good so that I can share what I have and what I've gotten. But I also go to, and, and to, uh, to buy insurance for those times when things aren't so good. And I know for me, when bad things happen, things that, you know, traumatic things happen, the first place I want to go the meeting, because I need to be close to you guys. I was the kind of person, particularly with my children, that was, I called myself a parasite. I sucked all my happiness from them. I sucked everything that I had from them. Uh, I didn't know how to get it from any place else because I was afraid of other people. You know, that fear of people will disappear. Well, I'm not going to say it's disappeared but it's sure a whole lot less than it was when I got here. I have done things since I've been here that I wouldn't have even thought.
thought to do before. One of my other excuses for why my kids were the way they were is because I never got involved in PTA and all that. And I know why I didn't. I didn't feel good enough. Those people were real parents and I wasn't. Uh, if they found out what was going on in our house, oh my gosh, you know, we'd be the talk of the, the school. So I, I just stayed away from it and therefore they'd have to guess what was going on. I moved from a town of 500 people to Houston so that I could disappear. Now I personally don't want to disappear, only you know that I'm an out front kind of person, but I wanted to disappear from all those people that would judge me and, and think harshly of me and, uh, so those were my excuses, another one of my excuses for not, for my kids being the way they were. Going to the parents' meeting, I mean, this is very important to uh, finish up with that. There were people there who had what looked like real normal lives, but their kid was an alcoholic. Their kid was doing the same stuff mine had been doing. There were people there who were split up, you know, single parents. They had had an alcoholic in the family, or maybe ten. Their kids were doing the same things as mine were. There there were people there just like me who had multiple children. One's an alcoholic, the rest are seemingly normal, whatever that is. I, I use normal as just average, you know. I looked at my family, I have three average kids and two alcoholics. So what it did for me is it lets me know that alcoholism is a disease. It's not real picky about who it takes and who it doesn't. We have no control over that. But the important thing is they don't either. And that's the hard part for me, is to know that they have no control over whether they drink or not. Because it looks, from the non-alcoholic point of view, like, just don't pick up that drink. Just don't pick up that drink. I've got a sister-in-law who's been married to two alcoholics and she'd always say why do they drink and what I've learned here is they drink because that's normal for them it's not normal for them not to they don't feel normal when they're not drinking so you know as a family disease and it is in my entire family in-laws outlaws cousins you know you name a relative I've got one and uh from being an only child to that, <laughs> it's a it's kind of a stretch. But today I'm happy. That's what Al-Anon is about, to, that I can be happy, joyous, and free no matter what's going on with other people. I would make other choices for them, but I don't need to. They need to make their own choices. They'll get here when and if it's ever time, like my oldest son did. I wanted to take credit for him getting the AA. Actually, I wanted his dad to take credit for him to get the AA. No. It was the Marines. <laughs> and, and it was time. You know, that last drunk that he had, guess what he did? He got a shotgun. He put all of his wife at the time, perfume and Christmas presents in the middle of the bedroom and shot it up. That was his statement that he was reaching out for help. That was his final drunk. So I'm real proud of him today. But you know, I'm also proud of that other boy. I'm proud of all five of my kids. And uh, I'm real proud of myself. You know, it's not a prideful thing, but I'm real proud of myself. And I want to thank you all for having me up here to talk. I'm very humbled by the fact that you wanted to hear what I had to say and that everybody came to hear it. So thank you very much.